Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we are going to talk about writing for both TV comedy and TV drama shows with not one, but two very special guests, a writing team, you might say. <laughs> Uh, yes, we're talking to Michelle Badillo and Caroline Levich, who have written for One Day at a Time on Netflix and The Bold Type on Freeform. Welcome. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy to be here. Awesome. We're happy to have you. So first up, just tell us a little bit about your backgrounds. How did you get involved in the industry and end up in L.A.? So um, I'm from, <laughs> I feel like we have to change up our story a little bit or else any executive who ever listens will know how rehearsed it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I know. I was just thinking we've told this story like three times this week. It, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm happy to tell it forth. Um, I'm from a town outside of Portland, Oregon. It's called Beaverton. Nice. Which um, always makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and I moved to L.A., like about eight years ago to go to school at LMU and study screenwriting. And I have the same story, except that I'm from Queens, New York. All right. So you guys went to school together. Yes. We went to LMU together. We were in the screenwriting program together, kind of the, um, in film school, as many people know, if you say you want to do TV, you're like, you are low class. Um, (laughs) Everyone's an artiste and wants to do independent films and Things exactly. like that. Or not even, just, yes, independent film, film, TV is, is There's nothing wrong with rubes. that. Mm. So Do they we, film with the, the pinky up? That's when, right. Uh, yeah. That's right. And we were like, we want to work in TV. We um, were the ones, you know, we'd never seen Citizen Kane. We yeah. didn't care. <laughs> oh, I actually have seen it now, and I don't like Ooh. it. I just, you know, it's like it's so easy to lie about having seen Citizen Kane. Rosebud, it's like I can say any, it doesn't matter. I don't have to have seen it. <laughs> I've seen the Simpsons parody of it with Mr. Burns. Is that right. good enough? <laughs> yeah, it is good enough, by the way. Um, so what we ended up totally coincidentally having every single screenwriting class together. And we so we knew of each other, and I knew she was a good writer, but we... As you can probably see, you can't see because this is a podcast, but we um, ran in very different circles. And then we ended up taking, there was two TV classes offered. There was writing for the one hour drama and writing for the half hour sitcom. So we took the sitcom class, which was taught by a woman named Gloria Calderon Kellett who was a working writer at the time, and most film school professors are not working writers, so that was very exciting. She taught mostly because she wanted to get her son into the LMU daycare, which is a very long waiting list, but if you're faculty, you get right up to the front. So she was like, sure, I'll teach a semester. And there was like 14 or 15 kids in the class, and she was like, this is far too many scripts to read. I'm going to pair you guys up. And so she had read a couple things of ours already and was like, I think you guys should pair up. And we were like, uh, okay. I was like, cool. Well, I mean, she is like probably the best writer in the class, but I don't like her. And not that, <laughs> no, it wasn't that I didn't like you. I just was like, I don't know how to talk to this person. Yeah, like, we were just, I mean, I was very into Greek life, Michelle, was it? Like we were just in different worlds. And so we were like, I don't know. I'm really intimidated by you. I don't think this is going to work out. And we had to write a modern family spec and we rented a library room for an hour and for 50 minutes we just hit it off like we were just chatting and talking and talking smack about everyone else yes. <laughs> um and we were like oh you're my person okay i have a lot in common with you there's what you have assumptions about someone we we're like this is gonna work so we stayed writing together we graduated we we kind of did the the marriage pact of like let's try to go out separately and then if it doesn't work out then we'll try to go out as a team I worked as an assistant for a couple years. I was sort of floating around doing odd jobs. I got a fellowship at one point with Outfest where I was able to make a short film. But besides that, it was a lot of just 
transcription for journalists and eating ranch from Domino's I'd gotten three weeks ago <laughs> and just this sort of like lousy life watching Caroline do what I thought was glamorous. She always, she's she says that she thought, I, she was like, she made it. Like Caroline was in the industry. I was a PA. I was like filling fridges with Diet Coke, like crying <laughs> at night. And she, and, But of course I probably also helped in like taking pictures of me like on the lot, love my life. <laughs> <laughs> And then Gloria called us a couple years after that same teacher who had become like a mentor to us. And we did everything she needed. If she needed stagehands, I was her intern for a while. I organized her closet, anything she needed from us. And the deal was like, while we were doing these jobs for her, she would advise us on anything we wanted. She called us and said, hey, I just got my own show on Netflix. Will you guys come in as assistants? And we were like, sure. That's, you know, we want to, of course, work with you. And then... She called us like a day later and was like, hey, um, actually, we want some young writers in the room and the people that they're sending us aren't as good as your work. I know your guys' work. Are you guys still writing together? Do you have any new samples? And we were like, yes. And we did not. (laughs) And so (laughs) that night we ended up writing a sample together, like a a one-act play, so that we could show our voices together. And we got a staffing meeting and then we started writing on the show. Cool. And so at that point you only had that Modern Family spec, essentially? What was interesting, we had written the Modern Family spec together, and then we had, right after college, we put up a night of one acts at the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which was four play, four one-act plays. We each wrote two, though, so it wasn't like we had written one together. So we really had no other samples of our writing together except for that Modern Family spec, and we couldn't give it to her because she knew that I mean, she already <laughs> yeah. created it. She certainly knew that it wasn't new. Because after the Modern Family spec, we stayed partners in that we just edited each other's work like crazy, but it wasn't we were putting our names on the same script. So it was like I would write something, I'd send it to her, she'd edit it, you know, and then she would do the same for me. So we didn't have anything with both our names that we felt like this is something we wrote together. But we did have pilots and specs separately, and we had both written... Coincidentally, yeah, we both wrote a Broad City spec. So it was like, look, even though we're not writing together, we obviously like are writing the same type of stuff. Your spec was really good, I remember. Your pilot was really good, I remember. <laughs> That's I still think that pilot's the best thing I ever wrote, and I'll never top it, and I can never use it again because it's so old. <laughs> I think you can. So you get staffed on one day at a time. Can you walk us through what that first day in the writer's room looked like? We really had no idea how a writer's room really worked. I mean, in school, the classes sort of functioned like a writer's room, but we had no idea how it actually worked. We didn't know what we were supposed to bring. We didn't, and we yeah. had heard all this stuff like where you sit's really important, what you well, order you, for lunch is really important. Don't wear too many overpowering scents. Like it was just like, oh, don't be the person who talks too much, but don't be the person who talks too little. Don't be the person who eats too much or eats too little because those are all we. And it was just like, oh, we had no idea what to do. We were like, do we bring laptops? Do we bring notebooks? What do we do? I think we each brought our laptops that day, and then very quickly, like as we walked in, we're like, nobody put them in your desk. Because <laughs> we never brought them. Yeah, I had on, on the Goldbergs. I had sat in on a writer's room like once. And because the writer's room is very coveted, you know, like people want to sit there and see how it works. And I remember just like being in awe of how everyone did it. And there was a couple of times where I would be like delivering coffees and someone would be thinking or, and I was like, oh, do you need anything? They're like, oh, no, I'm pitching or so, like I just I was so didn't understand how it all worked. So when we got in to our room, we just didn't speak. Well, they tried to make it as easy for us as possible. When we got it, like the very first day we all got in there, they were like, sit anywhere there's no order. And then when we all sat down, we I think we ended up sitting at the very butt end of the table anyway because we were so scared. But And our bosses immediately were like, 
there is no hierarchy in this room in terms of pitches. The best idea wins. The best idea wins. Don't be, if you're a staff writer, don't be afraid to not speak up. And if you are a co-EP, don't think that your voice has to be heard all the time. So we were like, oh, that's nice. Still, the entire first day, we each spoke once. And I remember I could see, and I knew I must be doing the same thing. I would see Caroline throughout the day seem like she was about to speak. And she would get very, 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 very red. And then about 10 minutes later, finally piped up. And it was like I could see her like waiting for the moment. And I knew I was doing the same thing. And so I think for the first two or three days, we each spoke once or twice because it was just so intimidating. Intimidating. But I would say, and then once we realized the thing that I think a lot of people say, but you often see that what you're thinking, other writers are pitching. And that's how you know you're on the right track. And you're, well, you know, the things that you say, you should be saying out loud. There was one time one writer on the show, Dan Hernandez, who's like one of our good friends now, we had not spoken for like three days or something. And he was pitching and doing this really impassioned pitch. And I remember it as him like standing up. I don't even know if he was. And he's he, in the middle of his pitch, he turns to us and he goes, by the way, you guys are doing great. And then he turns and then keeps going. And I was humiliated because we hadn't spoke. Like, we were so... but We it, hadn't contributed anything. But it actually worked really... Like, everybody laughed and it worked really nice. Like, it was the kind of gentle ribbing that... The yeah. kind of hazing that gets you involved and makes you feel more comfortable. Yeah. But um, he really... Yeah. He really <laughs> got us. But I think it helped. It helped us come out of our shells because we were like, all right, you're right. Who cares? We're here. They hired us for a reason. We should be talking more. That's funny. Were you two seated together or opposite? Opposite. Opposite. You got to be opposite. You, you know you can't opposite. really talk when you're next to mm-hmm. each other. It's about the look. It's about the eyes. It's about the... We have to sit across. <laughs> it's about when somebody else pitches and you give each other the... You guys can't see my eyes, but when you give each other, they're like, oh my God, that was such a stupid pitch eyes or the like... Yeah. Or a lot of times I'm like, Caroline will show me a joke and then I'll give her the eyes of like, pitch the joke, pitch the... So there's... You have to learn how to read eyes. That's what it's about. <laughs> but we, we never sit next to each other. No, I don't like sitting... I mean, I'm sitting next to her right now. I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't like sitting next to people when I want to chat. I like to sit across from them. Yes, I agree. And how big was the room? How many writers did you have in there? I I want to say 12, including showrunners, and there was three teams. Yeah. Wow. I, I think season three, we had, we had 13 because Janine came on, but it was 12 for the first two seasons. Yeah. yeah. So what's something that surprised you about this process, about being a writer, or something that you didn't expect when you came in? Well, I would say one thing that I remember when we first started was, you know, we were nervous. And then once we would figure out that story areas, when we were pitching story areas, we'd finally get in the groove and we're like, we got this, we got this. And then it would be rehearsal time. It would be production time. And that's a totally different skill set. And every time I felt like I had it down, I would be like, oh, this, oh, now we're in this part of it. Like now we do this. And then there's at least for a multicam, then there's alts and show nights, which is a totally different skill set thinking of a joke in that moment when an audience is waiting for you, which is totally different than saying, here are the themes that we should talk about this season. So that was, I guess, not surprising, but that was something that always took me off guard anytime that we would get to a different part of it. I think I would say the same thing too. Like, first of all, the learning curve is just insane. But you know, it was like we finally, we got into this groove of like, we know how to pitch story areas. We understand where these characters are at. We're molding this thing and we feel like we're really a part of it and we're getting very comfortable. And then we're like fully in production and it's like now we have to, the scripts are coming back in and we have to punch them. And then it's like, that is really the scary part of being a comedy writer when you're like, the reason you got into this thing is because you think you're funny. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now be funny, be funny, be funny. Yeah. And that's very intimidating. And then you finally get the hang of that and it's over. And then you start again the next season and you feel like you forgot everything but the muscle. 
also come back quicker. I think that was most surprising. And the other thing that was most surprising to me was how well everyone really truly eats. I had always heard that, <laughs> but I, had, I never believed that every day I would could go to a, a nice restaurant or have a oh, nice restaurant. Delivered. I thought you meant like how healthy. And I was like, well, were we on different shows? That was, <laughs> I would never say that. No, I mean, well, like, when I, I mean, wellness. when I say eat good, I mean, eating good, not eating healthy. I mean, you know. The food is insane. The <laughs> amount of food that you get. We had our, we did have a rule starting second season of no, we used to have snacks in the room. We took them out of the room for a second and third season because everyone had gained like the freshman 15. <laughs> <laughs> So just returning to the writer's room for a minute, how do you guys break story in the room? Is it more a board room? Is it more of a card room? And do you see the narrative from a more serialized perspective as opposed to character driven? Well, we were definitely a boardroom. Mm -hmm. We were we never we never touched a card. <laughs> um, we never owned cards. We never owned cards. We hate cards. We I think it was for we were serialized because Netflix loves their serialization because everything should be bingeable. But because it is a multi-camera sitcom, like we have the larger arcs in mind, but that's not usually the central thing that we're thinking about. But yeah, usually it was, you know, somebody had an idea or our showrunners would come in with ideas of what they wanted to do, what they wanted somebody to go through, some situation. And then we start breaking the A story that way. And we really sometimes on one day at a time, we just had an A story, yeah, which was fun. I'd say also it was dependent on what part of the season we were in. In the beginning parts of each season, it's a lot more not bottle episodes, but more topical episodes. Like often we would come in and say, what are the things that are happening in the world that we want our characters to go through and make it seem like they're living in modern world. And then as we got farther in the season, the arcs would take over and then we would be like talking about relationships and these characters and where they're going to end up and how they go. So it becomes more serialized as we go on. Right. And then we had, we had a very like specific board system where Mike Royce, one of the showrunners, he would sort of write like the loose beats on the board in his like insane murder handwriting that nobody could understand. <laughs> and then not even he could understand. No, even he didn't know it was, and he's left-handed. So it was always like smudging as he, you know, it was just, <laughs> it's, I mean, horrible boss. Um, no, we, we love Mike best. Royce he's so absolutely much. The best. Yeah. Um, and then after we did the sort of loose beats and had an idea, we would do sort of like, you know, A story or then if there was B story. And Mike would use different colors. This drove me insane. Mike would use different <laughs> colors for different lines. Had no correlation to anything whatsoever. <laughs> it wasn't like these characters are going to be in blue. These characters, it was just like, and this line's going to be in orange. It yeah. was, I mean, just. It wasn't even like scenes. It, sometimes it was just different colors. It was just to keep him happy. Um, a, a tyrant. And so then after we sort of had the loose beats. We had another writer, Becky, who has a creepily gorgeous handwriting, and yeah. she would transfer it to sort of a larger outline, more detailed outline to a bigger board. Not really an outline, but sort of more fleshed out beats, and we would have the joke pitches in there. And of course, the, the writer's assistant is taking notes as we go. So Emma, our writer's assistant, as we're telling jokes that maybe Becky isn't writing up on the board, she was taking the notes and... Just a humble brag, I became the backup Becky this year. So if Becky was gone or like didn't want to write, I would write it, and it was so much pressure. She still hasn't figured out that that's like the worst job. To <laughs> I love it. It helps me. I think it's it's like people have different, you know, how to. Yeah, writing helps you retain information. I yes. understand it for sure. But sometimes it is like as you're writing, it is sometimes this is like interesting. I wonder if for people is that sometimes it is when you're writing on the board and you're like, oh, this is. I've, this is helping me and I'm retaining information and I get to write down what jokes I think are funniest and write it down. Sometimes you're not thinking 
as you're writing, you know, you're not thinking mm-hmm. of jokes and you're not yeah. thinking of how it goes because you're also doing this thing. And so you're like trying to do multiple things at once. A lot of staff writers fall into a trap, actually. The showrunner will be like, who wants to write on the board? And the staff writer thinking like they're, they have to be the one who volunteers for everything. It's like, I'll go write up on the board. And what happens is that then they end up participating less actually in the breaking and pitching. And they sort of start to seem like a writer's assistant to the room and that a lot of staff writers end up shooting themselves in the foot that way because then they end up in this sort of like feeling like an assistant and not feeling like they can participate and then not really like feeling valued. And I've heard that from a lot of staff I have writers. too, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Do you think that writers should have to submit handwriting samples with your writing sample? I think so. I think oh. just, pretend, just pretend you have the worst handwriting. That's Michelle. If they're ever I do like, have the worst handwriting. She does. But I, I think that you're you're not getting any better because you don't want to write on the board. I think well, after the age of seven, your handwriting's like set in stone. Like, I don't think that it can get better. <laughs> I don't know. I remember one time in seventh grade, I decided I wanted my A's to look differently. I did that too. Did you? That, I think se- people don't know this, but junior high is when girls make handwriting decisions. When they're like, my A's are going to be like Times New <laughs> Roman. exactly mm-hmm. right. With a little tail at the top, mm-hmm. like a little umbrella. Mm-hmm. We're That's breaking news on this podcast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember how to write by hand every year when I have to like write cards for yes. Christmas or birthday or yes. something. Like like, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then so we would, then whoever had that episode would go off and write an outline based on what we had done in the room, which tended to be an easier process because we had such great outlines from the room and we have all these copious notes of jokes and you go off and write the outline and then you write the script and then it comes back in the room and everybody pitches on it. Then it gets up on stage and pitch some more, cut some more based on every rehearsal. It's like a writer triathlon. You got to do all these different things along the way. It makes yeah. it very fun. It it keeps you... Keeps you on your toes. Keeps you on your toes, baby. <laughs> and so the the specs and samples that you had written before were all single cam, right? And how did you adapt to coming onto a multi-cam show? There wasn't so much of an adapting because we had never really worked on anything before. But it was, I mean, it was, like I said, it was a crazy learning curve. And I don't think there's not a ton of modern multicams that most people our age are watching. So when we found out that this was going to be a multicam, that one day at time was going to be a multicam, we were kind of like, oh, is that going to work? Like, does anybody care about, like, well, you just forget that there were really great multicams. Like, you even forget about Seinfeld. You're just like, well, it's going to be Fuller House then. You are like, how can we make this actually good? But I think in terms of the actual writing of it, it's just a different template on Final Draft. Yeah, I mean, both of us, I think for both shows that we've worked on, because the bold type was also a new thing for us, writing on a one-hour dramedy, I guess you'd call it, I think we just studied the scripts that came before. So we would study the pilot of One Day at a Time, and I think we wrote episode nine first season, so we studied the first eight scripts, you know, and how exactly did they do it, how long were their scenes, and just kind of gave them like almost a cookie-cutter version, but just was like, we're just trying to figure out this template and how to write this way. And how do you approach modernizing that multicam format for the contemporary audiences? Well, what was really great about One Day at a Time in particular was that because we were on Netflix, we really could play with the format. And our bosses were very eager to sort of open up what it was. So there's no act breaks, which really can like direct how a story is written and how a story is told. So because there are no act breaks and we're not like writing towards commercials or like anything, we really treated it more like as a play. You could have scenes as long as you wanted or as short as you wanted. We had scenes that ended very dramatically. And I think in a traditional multicam sitcom, there's always Always a blow. blow. And um, we would even sometimes write blows and we would film them. And then Mike and Gloria, our showrunners, were like, we don't need it. Let's just live in the awkwardness. Let's live in the dramatics because we can. 
Yeah. So I think that really the pacing of it allowed us to modernize it in a really cool way, just because the essence of it was you, you're not, you don't have to do anything that you normally have to do. So that opens it up and makes it, you have so many expectations going into a multicam of the rhythm of it. And when you, you play with that rhythm just a little bit, it feels so much fresher. Mm -hmm. And also we're talking about I, things that are happening in the world that feel modern. Well, your episode specifically was about depression. Can you talk us about how you came about writing that episode? And also congratulations on the Humanitas nomination. Thank you. That Thank episode. you. So uh, well-deserved. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, it's so exciting. It's really exciting. I've said it so many times, but Barbara Walters herself said that <laughs> what the Nobel Prize is to literature and the Pulitzer is to journalism. The Humanitas is to television. You are so I keep saying embarrassing. It. I keep saying it. I don't know if any of that's like really true, but Barbara Walters said it. I don't know if you did Barbara she? Walters. Yes, she said it. But did you find that out after the nomination or? Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just Googling what Barbara Walters said about Humanitas in my free time. Um yeah, I mean, I think that the idea of that originally came from our showrunner, Gloria, who really wanted to touch on this subject of anxiety and depression. And I think the room just lit up because a lot of us have... We're writers. We're writers. So we're all depressed and we're all anxious. And yeah, it just... It, I think that something we've learned in writers' rooms is if everyone is really passionate about it in the room, and especially if there's heavy discussion and even fights about it, that means that we're on a good subject and it's something we should write about. So that was how we went about it. That episode went through a lot of different permutations because we were trying to figure out how funny we could be with it. And we were trying to walk the line there. There was a whole B story that got cut out in editing because- in Rightly so, I think. Yeah. In watching it, and Mike and Gloria told us this, that you just don't care. <laughs> like when your main character is going on this huge journey and she goes off her pills in the episode, you don't care if the kid's school project is going well, you know, so we... I think we were all... It was interesting because it, it ended up really deviating from form much more than we expected it to because also, especially since we were originally brought onto the show, not specifically to write for the kids, but to be like the younger voice for the younger characters or like inform that. And we ended up writing this episode that the kids are in one scene, I think. And because we ended up cutting their B story, it just felt like, oh, how can we have an episode of One Day at a Time without the whole family? And then it's like, you just, you're so in this person's journey that the other stuff really feels like, you're like, oh, I don't really want to go away from this story. And I, I don't, right. I'm not really in the mood to like laugh at something so silly. It's like when you're on that, when you're on such a heavy storyline, the laughs should kind of be as heavy as that. Like the laughs need to match. It's got to be like the gut laugh of like the gut punch. Right. And I think one thing that we've learned is that often when we're in the room, we'll start to be like, shoot, the kids don't have enough. The doctor doesn't have enough. Schneider's not in this. And like we're, we try to get everyone, which I think is a classic multicam. Everyone has a storyline. Everyone has a little thing, even if it's just a tiny part. And what we've learned is that people will enjoy episodes if one character's not in they're just They will just accept it and be like, for now, we're following Penelope and that's okay. And her story is really interesting. And they're not going to be like, well, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also the benefit of having it on Netflix because it's not like, you know, you watched an episode of Friends and it was only about Ross, which would be the worst episode of Friends. Um, <laughs> and then you had to wait a week and you were like, God, I wanted to watch Friends, but instead I had to watch the Ross show last week. <laughs> where this is like, oh, I just watched something about Penelope, but I just write and immediately after I can watch with all of them. It yeah. doesn't feel like you're doing a major disservice to the show. Do you feel like your experience in playwriting helped approaching the multicam format in this episode? I think 
playwright what the reason playwright not that we have a, a hugely extensive background in it we've written a couple of one acts but playwriting helps for multicam because playwriting is not set pieces it's not about like well we're in this crazy whatever we have a couch it's just an apartment yeah it's an interesting question because I think that we learned a lot of our writing from Gloria, who had an extensive playwriting background. So I think that we write like playwrights because we emulate so much of her and she's taught us so much. And she has helped us learn how to write jokes to the audience. And, and what she originally taught us was how to write two people sitting at a table and just the dialogue. And I think that's why we got really good at comedy and dialogue and characters and you didn't care what was going on around them because nothing was. It was just a black box. So, yeah, I think that multicam is, you know, like playwriting. and Yeah, because essentially, like, the, the multicam is about characters. It's about character-based comedy. Sometimes you have jokes that could work for anyone. But usually it's like, what joke sounds best in this person's mouth? And I think that that's what playwriting is about, too. Like, what lines sound best? Like, it's very character-driven. So Yeah, I think that that it's, it, it's kind of, I mean, every season has been fun of one day at a time. But two and three three especially, we know these characters so well. So in the room, when we pitch like a Schneider joke, it's so exciting because it's such a Schneider joke. You know, like you now we know these characters, we know what they would say, and it's not figuring them out. It's just having fun with them. So once One Day at a Time wrapped, you then moved on to The Bull Type, which is actually a one-hour trauma on Freeform. How did that change of format come about and what prompted the transition? Well, I think that because we didn't go into this wanting to be solely multi-cam writers we had told our reps you know we want to try everything and let's try everything and we actually got the job through mark provisero who's our manager now who wasn't our manager at the time he got us a meeting with amanda lasher who was on the bold type and when we went into that meeting we had both watched the show and we were like we love these characters we love this story this is such a great show and amanda really took a risk on us hiring us because it was a one hour and Having read our samples, she's like, you guys can write single cam. You get it. You get characters. I can teach you the structure of it. And the hardest part was learning like the six act structures and act breaks, which we had never done before. Because even in our own writing, we didn't write acts. And then, of course, with Netflix, we didn't. I mean, you can learn structure. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, now I, can, I write for 60 pages. And, of course, with The Room, we did the same sort of thing where we would really talk about what things were happening in the outline stage so that when we were off on our own, we had a really clear idea of how to go about it. We did. We used um, magnetic, um, what cards. are they called? Magnetic like uh, dry erase cards, which you ne really needed for the for an hour-long single cam because you have to shift scenes around constantly and having mm -hmm. to rewrite them would be, you would just lose your absolute mind. We would think the story laid out a certain way and then we would be like, oh, act three is too long. Just move that card over to... Act four. Yeah, it, that was really also super interesting about the bold type was just those cards were like our lifeline. We would just put, once we figured out the scenes that we wanted, moving them around was crazy because in one day at a time, you can't move scenes around because there's four scenes and they're all very much built on each other. This was like, oh, should Sutton get a pedicure before Kat breaks up with Adina? Or, you know, like, <laughs> like that. I mean, it's, you know, the, both equally as important. Stories. They are, yeah. Um, and it would be really fun because we would figure out all the scenes and then on the cards, sometimes it would be as silly as like, Sutton slap someone. And we're like, <laughs> just put it up and like, we would be talking in code of like, should Sutton slap someone in act three or act six or let's move this around. And that was so fun. At the end of the day, you're essentially doing the same sort of thing, which is you're writing for characters and you're writing story. And also the bull type has a little bit of comedy in it. So, but really the structure thing 
was the sort of the biggest learning curve. But even that was, you know, you just got to be paying attention to the people who know more. Mm -hmm. The people in the room were so patient with us. And we did have a problem sometimes with too many jokes in our scripts, though. Yeah. Because we're just, that's, you, that impulse is hard to lose where you're like, in Definitely. any conversation, you can say this funny. So why won't you say it funny? And it's like, well, not, most people don't just like say funny things all the time. So it, it, <laughs> it takes away from the verisimilitude. Oh, <laughs> check out that word. And did you find much difference in working for a show that's on a cable network rather than a digital streamer like Netflix in either the creative or the production process? Totes. Yes. A big difference. I mean, Freeform is a part of Disney, so I think that they have much more of a brand and an image to maintain than Netflix is a little bit more. They're everything. I mean, they're just, you can even have cuss words on Netflix. You can do whatever you want. And I think Freeform, when we would get those notes, it would be like, okay, here's our brand, here's our agenda, here's what we're trying to do. And Netflix was a lot more hands-off and kind of like letting the showrunners bake the show that they wanted to make. Yeah, I think Netflix is pretty famous for that at this point, like giving very little notes, unless they really feel some type of way about something. But Netflix is, for the most part, pretty like, well, you know, writer's right. Not to say that Freeform or, and who was, and Universal was the studio. It's just there's more of, um, their hands are in it more. Yes, but I will say that um, one thing that we haven't had really is both shows we wrote the shows before it was really starting to air. So we've never been in a writer's room while the stuff that we're writing is currently airing. So it's always been, you know, a couple months later, we're out of the room, everything's shot, and we're now getting tweets about how people feel about the show. It's in a vacuum. It, that's right. Were there any differences from a narrative standpoint, uh, a need for more serialization on Netflix, perhaps? Or was that kind of uh, even money for both? I think actually because we were working on, because the bold type is a drama, it's just inherently more serialized, seeing that it's not CSI or something. Actually, I think way more on the bold type. We had to think about serialization and, you know, we would have a whole idea for episode and have the, like, what everybody's doing in it and then realize, right, wait, what's going on with Sutton and Richard? What's going on? With, you have to like be having these arcs in the background of whatever's happening in that episode as well. So sometimes you would be like, oh God, we totally forgot to address that thing that we have to address. And I think it got really tricky when you would go off on script. So we wrote episode five of season two and we got, I think, a week off to write an outline or a script or something. And then we saw an email come through about how episode four was changing, which changes everything for our episode. It's a little different in one day at a time. It doesn't completely wreck everything, but it's like- one, Worse at one day Tell them be like, oh, we, by the way, we didn't reference a, that thing in episode three we thought we were going to, so take the reference out of episode five. Like one line. Yeah. But the worst it could be is they're like, oh, we actually decided that they're not speaking anymore. And you're like, but I have a whole episode of them going to the fair. Like, how are we? <laughs> that never happened. Yeah. But I think but kind of it was because you have to like make sure you're also tracking people's attitudes from the episode right. before. Or, you know, or do they have some kind of weirdness with this person? So it's a lot, especially with the bold type, because you have three equally main characters that you have to service equally, especially in season two, they were kind of all off doing different things as opposed to the first season where they were sort of all in one space. So it was really like each of them has to have a story for each episode and we have to be tracking their season arc. So you just have more balls in the air. That was the most difficult part for me about the bull type was juggling all those balls and giving everybody the right space that they needed. And uh, did you get to have any involvement in the production side? Did you get to go to set or anything like that on Bull Time? We were going to go to set, and I think it was like the week that it was 
shot in Montreal. So that was very different. One day at a time is shot on Sony. We just walk downstairs to the set every day. The set for Bold Type was in Montreal. And I think it was like the week we would have been sent to Montreal, we got pulled back to one day at a time because we were mm. contractually obligated and that show got picked up. And so we left Bold Type. You really don't want to miss the first couple weeks of a room because that's when all the sort of arcs and episodes and things are broken and the big ideas for the season. It wouldn't have been great if we had missed that that first week, but we were sad that we didn't Very get to sad. go to Montreal. Yeah. And what are some of the lessons that you took from your multicam work into the one hour drama and then back to the multicam? Seems like we learned nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so difficult. I mean, I'm trying to think of what I would say we got 3% better. Not when I say we, in this instance, I really mean Caroline and not me. Um, got a little <laughs> oh, bit better tell at me writing um, stage directions because they're more important in a drama. Mm, I do love a stage direction. I can't read stage directions. I can't write that. I literally, it's so hard for me to read stage directions. They don't enter my brain for some reason. The bold type state, this is not answering your question. I apologize, but I just have to share The bold type stage directions are so fun because it would be like, They were kind of fun. Sutton walks away, sassy as ever. You know, like, or something, like, it was just so, I don't know, it was so much fun to you write it. to have fun with it. Yeah, because you would get to write. We, in, in One Day at a Time, it is very utilitarian. Penelope walks to the couch. You know, like, it's very It's set. bare bones that way. You're really just, like, you're, you're just sort of directing people's movement as it pertains to, like, right. a joke. Yeah, and the bold type was, like, you kind of made the tone of it in the stage direction. What's fun about drama, though, is you get to cheat a little bit. You know, you have some dialogue, and then at the end of the scene, you say something like, off sudden concern. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Like, okay, so you may not have gotten it from the dialogue that she was concerned, but from that stage direction, you know, you know she's, she's concerned. concerned. Or like you would write, or Sutton would like laugh, and then it would be like, off sudden, laughing, but hiding her pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of a cheat and kind of lousy writing, but it, it, it what we we did have fun with that sometimes. It's a little bit more uh, editorialized than that. Yes. Sense. Yeah. P.S. Yeah. Here's the subtext. Yes, yeah. Exactly. It was. We really got into it in a fun way. It's the only reason why I'm writing dramas is uh, just to write the, the subtext and text. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's so, so fun. fun. I would sometimes I would get like out of hand, like a bit with myself, where I would just be like sudden who's laughing, but underneath hiding pain. <laughs> underneath that, maybe there is a little more joy, but beneath that, <laughs> like imagining an actress yes. trying to be like, wait, how am I playing this? I feel like sometimes deeper. we would get notes that were like, you know, I just don't know where we're leaving her off. And the fix would be just writing like off Jane, feeling <laughs> concerned for her relationship. And they're like, now I see it. You know, and like, I thought that doesn't change anything, but. <laughs> yeah, how are you going to shoot that? Yes. <laughs> The actors There's will a do it. Executive. <laughs> they can do that in a look. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> They're very gifted. So how did you and your reps approach the kind of staffing process, knowing that you wanted to do other things than just multi-cam comedy as well? And obviously you ended up in, in drama. So did you have to write uh, an hour-long sample? Is there any particular way that you wanted to position or brand yourselves when you were going out there? We have not written an hour-long sample. I think... I have no idea how our reps do it. I think they kind of, th they ask anything that they think we might be mildly interested in, they try and get us a meeting on. Yeah. I mean, I was just telling Michelle yesterday, I, our reps are really great. They really give us everything. We just met on like an hour superhero show that is not us. Like we have, they just put us out there and see what sticks, I think. 
often they, I think, brand us as the comedy people. So if in a drama or in these places you want comedy, they're like, here's a sample that shows that they're funny. And our samples are pretty dramedy. They're like half hour dramedies. And so I think it does show both sides, but they just, they haven't asked us to write. I think that our samples are versatile. And so they haven't asked us to write certain ways. I think also in terms of like branding with air quotes around it, we're like packageable in a very specific way where, you know, it's like Caroline is blonde and was in a sorority and she's like the nice one and she's really funny and sweet. <laughs> and then, and these are just, you know, this is for branding purposes, you know. This yeah, is I'm not actually. Sure. And then you funny. have. The, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You have a crazy looking bald Latina lesbian on the other half of it. So people really think oh, I'm getting two wildly different opinions for the price of one. They can do it, quote, edgy, but they can also do, like, mainstream, but they don't know that we're the same. They Yeah, they don't know they're actually getting the same person <laughs> in two different bodies. But um, I will say in, in meetings it is people make assumptions based on who you are. We were in a meeting and someone, they were writing about, we get a lot of um, meetings on shows that have queer themes, and they often will be like, Oh, and Michelle, of course, is. I'm sure you can speak on behalf of this, and it is true to a certain extent because Michelle's gay, so she can. She has an authentic voice to that and can speak to it. But I think that there is a lot to do with them just looking at us, making assumptions, and thinking, "Great, I have a teeny bopper sorority girl. Caroline's gonna kill it. You know, I have a a queer Latina. Michelle's gonna be able to write that." I think it's always a balance of knowing what you like. You have to be aware of what people think of you when they see you. And you have to know how to use that either like you walk in and you're like, okay, this is a show that we really want. And there's like some queer stuff in it. So like, let's put my foot forward and like lean into that. Or there, it's like about, you know, with the bull type, it's like about 25 year old girls dating, like Caroline, you put your best foot forward. But if we know that maybe what they think of us will work against us, then it's like, put the other foot forward immediately of like, let me disarm you by showing you that I'm not exactly what you think I am. It's a, a lot of mind games. Yeah. It's not that. I know that didn't really. That's a, that no, went no, off a no, on that's a really tangent. But you guys are like your own set. Well, no, because I, I think that ties into how our reps get us, get jobs. us jobs. Well, I I always think about this one meeting because Michelle and I are pretty good. My boyfriend always says that when we talk, it's like twin speak because we just now we just like know what each other are saying. We <laughs> understand our body language, and we had this one meeting where both of us going in later talking about it, we're like, oh, this girl's gonna like Michelle. Like this woman. Oh, I is, know exactly the one. Yes, this woman's <laughs> gonna take to Michelle. She just had an energy that felt, oh, you're gonna take to Michelle. And Michelle immediately foot forward. She took on the meeting and we just weren't cracking this egg. And we were both trying to find something to, because, you know, a meeting's always good when you're not just talking business, when you have something to relate on. And then at the very tail end, I... Like the maybe the last three minutes of the meeting. We started talking about skiing and I grew up a ski racer and she was a skier and it was like me and her just hit it. We were thick as thieves hitting it off. <laughs> yeah, really. We just misjudged it entirely. So it can go awry, but, but thank God for the skiing. Thank <laughs> God for the skiing. Us. Yeah. And then we had the that like same week, we had the opposite experience where there was somebody who we thought was really going to get along with you. And they really got along with you. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are the names? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I could not tell you. I couldn't either. I have no capacity for names. What have you found to be positives and negatives of being in a, a writing team? How has it helped you? And do you think that there are any potential drawbacks to it as well? I love it so much. Going through this process with someone, 
it all has been so scary and intimidating, especially just starting out. And it was a godsend to have someone who's like, a, you know, a best friend to me go through it and we can talk about it and coming out of meetings and being like, that was weird, right? I'm not weird. It was weird. Like having a person to go into meetings, even like we said, like we have a routine. We go in, we have a show. If it's going awry, you have someone to save you if you're drowning. That's amazing. I also often feel like in writing, it's cheating because if I'm working on something, I'm like, this isn't great of ours. And I send it over to Michelle. She sends it back. And I'm like, you're brilliant. You just made this thing a thousand times better. And I think she has the same feeling. Yeah. I think like the worst part about writing when you, in general, is when you're like writing a script or you're writing something. And as you're writing, you're like, this is so bad. This is so bad. This is so bad. You end up pouring over every word and doing all this. Like you don't, you have no, you totally lose sight of what it is what's so amazing about having a writing partner is that you're writing it and even if you're like this is so bad this is so bad immediately I can just show it to Caroline and she can be like okay this part is kind of bad but the rest of it's really good and we can punch this and whatever it's to have another set of eyes that you trust and that who gets you your voice and who you know their voice to have their eyes on it's like having an, an editor and it's just like immediate you don't have to go through all the drama of being like of the self-loathing, that cycle that a lot of writers go, have to go through. Yes. And in every job that we've been in, often we have the smallest office because we're lower on the totem pole. And it's just the two of us sharing an office. But everyone ends up in our office because we just have we're a blast. Laughing right? We're <laughs> laughing. We shared a wall with these two writers at one day at a time and they would get so angry with us because we were laughing. We just make each other laugh so hard. There was one time that I collapsed on the floor. Oh, that was, I know the time it <laughs> yes, was. It and was, I know exactly the joke yeah. too. And it was just so fun. And to have someone, like I'll make a joke, I'm like, that's not funny, but she's laughing. Then let's put it in. Let's try it out. And it's just really nice to have, especially in comedy, an, an immediate audience, someone there to tell you that you're not crazy and Especially with comedy also, it's like we just have like a mini ping pong writer's room all the time where it's like, I'm like, oh, what about this joke? Like I have an area here, but I don't know what the best version of it is. And I pitch like the bad version and Caroline's like, oh, it's that. Whereas like if I was working on my own, I would be like, I, I have no idea what this joke actually is. Exactly. In terms of downfalls, I mean, we split a salary. That's a bummer. That sucks, especially when you're also paying your reps. I mean, we get paid fine. It's really, but yeah, the money thing sucks in terms of the splitting. Yeah. Um, I think finding in terms of we are really similar and that we want to write about the same sort of things. I think sometimes things will come up that I'm like, let's write a thing about this. And Michelle's not as jazzed about it. And the same thing back and, you know, with her, with me, it's like, this is something that I'm feeling excited about. And if we are excited enough, we can make the other one excited and it works, but not inspiration doesn't always hit both of us at the same time in the exact same way. It's like a marriage. Yeah, that's right. Um, but it is, you know, so that it, I think that's the biggest downfall for partnerships is when you're not exactly aligned on something and you're like, oh, I'm really into this thing. And the other one's like, I'm, mm, I'm and you're just like, like I said, it's a marriage. You, there's compromises you have to make. And also there's somebody else who you are accountable to, which actually is not a negative. That's a positive thing. But uh, I, I think ultimately it's great to have a partner. The only thing that sucks is the money. <laughs> and as a team, do you write everything together or do you have side solo projects outside of your TV work? We are not opposed to that, but we've been so busy with being on jobs and then writing new samples and writing other stuff that we, I mean, I don't have a ton of time or energy right now to be working on totally solo projects, but. 
Yeah, I mean, we're also writing a movie together. So it is that we're doing different avenues together. I think what we've learned is it is like a marriage. We have to keep open communication with each other and be like, hey, if you want to write something and you're feeling jazzed about it and you just want to put your name on it, just just give me a heads up. Just let me know so that I'm not taking it back and, and vice versa. And so we have had those conversations. I mean, Michelle's an actor too. So she acts on things and she lets me know. I was on one thing, let's be clear. <laughs> well, yeah, well, well, and I had a non-speaking role on one day at a time. Yeah, but you know, if just, they don't cut me out. <laughs> just things where it's like, let's talk about your journeys separate from me and just make sure that I don't feel jaded or not jaded. What's the word? Like slighted. slighted. Thank you. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that's what you were Jinx. thinking. Um, it really teaches you to be very open because also I think you are sometimes unaware. You're like, I'm doing this thing. Like I'm the man. And then the other person's like, um, you've been doing what? Yeah, like, like wait. And when it comes to becoming a TV writer or transitioning formats, uh, is there anything that you wish you knew when you first started that you now know? What you hopefully learn pretty soon is that nobody's paying as much attention to you as you think they are. I think there's a lot of anxiety that happens in a writer's room in particular where you say something and either you pitch a joke that doesn't go over well or an idea that nobody's really into or you say something that was maybe like a little off color and everybody was like, oh, all right. You will dwell on that for the entire day and you'll leave work at the end of the day and ask some another writer like, oh, my God. Did you guys all hear what I said? Like, do you think people like, was it weird? And everybody, nobody has an idea what you're talking about. Yes. And it, that's exactly what I was thinking of. But in that is that we have a lot of experienced writers who do that too, who after work, they're like, can you believe I said this thing? And I'm like, I, what? No, no one knows. No one remembers that. And I think what I would warn myself about is that everyone has anxiety in the room. And you should also remember that in times that you feel my favorite word now slighted, but like mm -hmm. having when another writer pitches on top of you or you pitch a joke, it's not heard and they say it later. Everyone is in their head. So oftentimes it's not a malicious thing that they did. And sometimes I felt like, oh, these people are stepping on me or they're not listening to me and I'm not feeling heard. And they're probably feeling just as anxious about things. And so I'd say go into it with more of a positive outlook. Or just, yeah, don't take everything personally. Don't let one little thing that nobody else actually realize ruin your whole day. So what are your kind of plans for the future and goals that you have for your career together? Oh, flying cars. <laughs> <laughs> we'll own one together. Right now we are looking to staff on another show and uh, continue to, I think, broaden our resume. We've, we love that we've worked on a half hour and an hour, and I think we want to continue. And we're learning just how dramatic we want to go. We're writing a feature together. We're hoping to get into the feature worlds and write movies. I think we want to run our own show one day. That would be pretty cool. Whenever somebody's like, where do you want to be in five years? And like managers always like, they have to ask you like your one year, five year, 10 year plan. I feel very uncomfortable with that question always. Cause it's like, you really don't, I mean, seriously, the stuff that happened this week, we could not have predicted happening last week. Like we didn't, you know, it's, you just yes. have no, and also I, I find it, Maybe I'm just, I find it difficult to set specific goals because then I'll be sad if I don't meet them or something. But you just, I, I never thought that right after one day at a time, we would do an hour long. And I'm so happy that we did. But I think we just want to make a ton of money and be really successful <laughs> and make really good stuff and work on really good stuff and, you know, be co-presidents of Hollywood. Yeah. 
I think that there's something in the industry that it's often like you don't know when to celebrate, you know, like when you get a job, when you get a staffing meeting, when you start the job, because things could go wrong. The show could get canceled. You could be fired. You could not get that job. The offer could come through. There's so many things that could go wrong. And so I try to just celebrate that we're working, you know, every day and that these things are happening. And I mean, I like teared up when someone first brought me a coffee because it was so exciting. So all of these things, I'm just trying to experience it in this moment and feel excited and not put too much pressure on ourselves. All right. Before we go, we have a couple of final questions. Number one, what are you watching on TV right now? Oh, I was just telling you guys this, but I'm watching The Good Place. Mm -hmm. I'm binging it on Netflix. That's a term people say, right? I'm binging it. Um, Jeez, Caroline, where have you been? Well, it just seemed weird. It seemed like... Bulimic. Well, but not. Yes, bulimic. Yeah, binging Yeah. yeah. I'm watching The Good Place, and I'm really enjoying it. It took me a little bit to get into it, but season two is so good. I am watching... Loosely watching The Romanoffs when it comes out. I got back into Daria recently... Let's see. I'm excited for the reboot. We'll see. Um, <laughs> TBD. TBD. Yeah. When I is feel it coming good. out? I want to personally, I personally want to reboot. This is something, an example of something I'm very interested in that Caroline's not. I personally want to reboot Beavis and Butthead uh-huh. um, as women. I won't say anything more about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I don't think my agents want me to do that, but the, I really want to do it. It's like my dream about it every day. Um <laughs> I know I'm watching, oh, The Great British Baking Show. That's like sort of a Xanax. I just binged episodes. If you guys haven't seen it, yeah, it was recommended to me. And I was like, I don't know. That doesn't seem like my speed. And I loved it. And I don't know if it's just because I'm in entertainment. I Isn't it amazing that all the people from Friends can only do things about the industry? (laughs) Matt LeBlanc, Lisa Kudrow with the comeback, Matt LeBlanc with episodes, Matthew Perry with Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Jennifer Aniston has done. Jennifer Aniston doesn't count. She is, um, she's a goddess. Courtney That's Cox right. did that we're FX yeah. show. Well, we were talking about before that that FX show that nobody remembers. I oh. I just remembered the name of it the other day. Totally gone again. Oh. <laughs> It'll come back right after this. It is really good though. Episodes is really good. I told our agents I was like, you guys want to hear this funny joke on episodes that I it was about an the agent. I'm just going to, whatever. The agents call and they're like, hey, will you just take this meeting? It's just a meeting. And they're like, we don't really want to with Matt LeBlanc. We don't really want to. We don't. We do not want to cast him. And um, they're like, no, just take the meeting. It's just a meeting. They take the meeting. And then the agents are like, congratulations. We got Matt LeBlanc. We're so excited. Like they had prefaced <laughs> it as a nothing meeting and then it became something. And I told my agents thinking it was so funny. And I think they were like, yeah, that's making fun of us. Like we're, <laughs> They didn't think it was as funny, but episodes is amazing. True to life. I'm rewatching Fixer Upper. Really? Rewatching. Well, I just I well, I'm always rewatching it. It's kind of it's like my go-to. I just put it on and clean my apartment, you know? And it just makes me feel good. You need background TV sometimes. Yeah. That's good. Really, really enjoyed Big Mouth a lot. Yeah, I, I just binged was, all that as well. It's so good. I thought I I think I've already seen it twice now. I think it was very sweet, very funny. That is a good show. Next question. Do you have any final advice for aspiring writers? Don't talk too much. Don't talk too little. Don't smell too much. Don't smell too little. Don't, don't order anything that don't smells. <laughs> this is something I wish my younger self had I had told or I had chilled out more. I hate the word networking. It really stresses me out. And when people say, oh, this is going to be a great networking experience, go and meet people. You should network with this person. It just feels so 
Transactional? Yes. And it doesn't feel genuine. And I just always hated it. It doesn't lend itself to like being able to talk to somebody. No. When someone's like, oh, you should talk to that person at this party. I'm like standing in the corner. And what I've learned is that just hanging out with people in the industry that have similar interests and getting to know them as just friends. And then it's cool that you know these people and you all want to uplift each other as friends. It's a lot easier for me to swallow and actually have you know, connections in the industry. I also hate the word connections because it just, it sounds so disingenuous. Yeah. If you just think of it as like, I will meet the people in my field who are probably somewhat similar to me because they have the same jobs and we'll have something to connect about. That's like a much easier way to think about it than like, you have to know this person, you have to talk to this person. It just, that puts some kind of pressure on it that feels really antithetical to like actually getting along with somebody. Exactly. Anytime I've had like quote networking drinks or something, I go in with such a expectation. I don't want to do this. This sucks. Networking sucks. This is for my job, whatever. And then afterwards I go out and I'm like, I loved that person. That wasn't even networking because they were so nice. But then I was like, it still was networking. It just, I just framed it in a different way. And lastly, do you have any resources, be it books, apps, websites, anything you can think of that you would recommend to our listeners? There's this book called How to Survive in Business Without Really Crying. It's by Carol Liefer. I loved it. I just... It's so crazy you say that. I just moved. I just found that book untouched in my apartment. And I was like, I don't know what this is. And I gave it to Goodwill. Well, let's get another one. I must have given it to you. <laughs> no, you didn't give it to me. My ex-girlfriend's parents gave it to me. Oh. And it was cursed. Oh, I see. Well, we'll get you an uncursed version. I love reading books by sitcom writers. I think I'm trying to think of others. Jesse Klein has one. Of course, the like Mindy Kaling, Tina Fey. Did you read Nels Cavell's one? Yes, yes, yeah. Nels Cavell. Oh, and then I tweeted her and I was like, loved your book. This was so fun. And then she liked it and then she followed me. So Sick. my good friend Nell, yes, I did. <laughs> that. I, I think any book by a sitcom writer is so monumentous. Like it's such a huge help, even more than like the formatting book. Save the Cat, if anyone wants a formatting book, that's the one. Just like the stories of going through the trades and stuff. Yes, yeah. exactly. And how And how they... I had Mindy Kaling's book, and when I got my staffing job, I would read anything that had to do with her staffing meeting or when she first started and just tried to get a feel for it and how it was going to be. And all of those books really gave me an idea. You know, watch The Comeback. Oh, oh The Comeback, comeback is, is so, so good. good. I, could, I, I, I love The Comeback so much. I could rewatch both of those seasons so many times. Yeah, that's a good one. And there's so many things that you miss. Too, or like just every line is a great line. I just love that show so much. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. Before we go, just a reminder that our paper tease competition is open for submissions. If you have a TV pilot teaser of eight pages or less, any format, any genre, you can enter it for free at paperteam.co slash teaser to get feedback on air from us and potentially be eligible for our mentorship. So thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. And thanks to our guests for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 115. If you want to leave us a review, that would be awesome. You can do it at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all those reviews will help us find new listeners and build our community. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Uh, where can we find you as on social media? Oh, at Caroline Levitch. And on Twitter, I'm at underscore Levitch. And you know why? Because I got really mad at a boyfriend when I was in high school. And I deleted my Twitter that was at Caroline Levitch. And you can never get that username back. Oh, no. <gasps> Oh, good to know. Um, at both Twitter and Instagram, I am at Mr. Michelle. That's Mr. spelled out. Mr. Michelle underscore. Just a sort of a hanging underscore after. <laughs> because Mr. Michelle, apparently there's other Mr. Michelle. <laughs> 
All right. Well, if you have any thoughts, feedback, or uh, questions about social media, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we are having our 2018 holiday special. It's already that time of year, I guess. Yeah, I think, what are we doing? Just a recap over the year and favorite episodes and things that happened. Yeah, and also uh, exchanging gifts. Oh, yeah, that's right. Can't right. wait to see what you got me. <laughs> some some in-joke, I'm sure, that no one will find funny except for us. <laughs> Usually that's how it works. <laughs> All right, see you next week. We'll see you guys then.